As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry, hear that local shouting, it's Dainer and Jay, it's Dainer and all right, welcome in the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Brown, Hollywood Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here working for you. What's going on, Jay? Hey, just uh, getting ready to enjoy this off day and also to recover from an impromptu anthrax concert last night. I mean, is there any other kind? Well, the, it was this was right in my wheelhouse because I did not have a ticket. I have a friend in town from California. We went to the Reds game with four of us. They went back to my other friend's house in OTR. I was walking back to the stadium to get my car, and I thought I'd just go around the perimeter of the Icon to see if I could see any any openings, and I found one. I just walked in for free and caught. What maybe do you mean the you last. found an opening? I found. I'm not gonna dis. I'm not going to say what it was because I don't want him to close that opening in case I want to use it. <laughs> but I got they it can for free. be had. Maybe they just leave openings because it's anthrax and they would just love to have a little bit more yeah. of a crowd filling in. They had a they had a really good crowd. Really, they did. I've underestimated Anthrax Nation. <laughs> I guess it was it was a, it was a very I, i'm not even a huge anthrax fan um i didn't know most of the songs but they they sounded great i just want i just wanted sure to see live did. music and i wanted to find a, a soft a soft target to hit and get in there and see if i could do it for free and i did you did <laughs> what a what a stunning turn of events uh we have a lot to get to besides sneaking into anthrax <laughs> concerts today uh so we've got a bunch of news that we're going to rip through here in a second we are going to dive fully into what is a a developing situation uh at left guard and uh, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous uh, for, for us to talk about there. Uh, we talked to Frank Pollock. We talked to Brian Callahan. We talked to Zach Taylor. You'll hear from all of them on the podcast. Um, and we talked to Cordell Volson. We talked to Jackson Carmen. Uh, we need, apparently, to talk to Trey Hill as well yes. as we tease where that conversation is going to go. Also, since we've last talked to you after the preseason game, Guess who's back? 
<laughs> back again, Joe Burrow uh, is back. So we're going to talk about everything that we've heard there. You're going to hear from Jamar Chase, and we will uh, go into that situation of Joe Burrow's triumphant return to practice and training camp. Jay can officially start. Mo Egger will join us, of course. Uh, as always, we will have our scoops. Things seen, heard, witnessed. Got some good ones. We got some good yeah. ones, I think, for you uh, this week. And uh, q and I've got a nice run passer boot that someone dropped into e- our email. And if you have questions that you would like uh, us to answer, just go ahead and drop those into the comments section if you're listening here live on YouTube, and we will try to get to some of those at the end. Also, if you're here on YouTube uh, or you want to maybe watch us on YouTube, subscribe rate all those things that you're supposed to do uh we're kind of we're still getting this channel going as we just started it here at the beginning of camp so appreciate those of you that are checking us out and uh and seeing it and if you if you have any sneaking into an anthrax concert stories make sure you drop those in there as well i'm sure there's so many i'm sure i'm sure there's so many uh let's start here jay let's 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 rip through this news real quick because you know in camp there's just a ton of it. It just uh, it just kind of flies off the walls. We've got um, cut Puka Williams, uh, Abu Duarme Suarez, and Shamari Jones, running back Shamari Jones, uh, DB Abu Duarme Suarez. The last time I'm gonna have to say his name. Uh, great story. Uh, yeah. Glad he got to have his moment to go play. Uh, and then Puka Williams, who uh, we told you was not going to be long for this camp after the walkout because of look, you just can't. If the only way you're making this team is by being the punt returner and you drop your first opportunity, that's it. They need to get to 85 by Tuesday at 4. So that was it. Pretty simple, Jay. I thought it was all pretty straightforward. Yeah, no real surprises there. Uh, and then it will, there'll be, what, another five cuts a week from today um, as they, they, they've changed the rules recently where they, they – are only doing these slight cuts so that people have more bodies available for that final preseason game, which ends up looking like a lot of the Bengals preseason games anymore with no starters playing. Um, but yeah, no, no real surprises with those first five. Uh, retirement. Wyatt yes, Hubert that- ends up uh, walking away from the game before he ever played a game. Uh, citing, you know, obviously had the injury last year that kept him out the entire year and started having injuries again this year as he was, you know, thought to be, I mean, he'd been practicing and seemed to be into it and, and, but you know, injury comes up again. And I think he just said, that's enough. He issued a statement on Instagram. I, I retweeted that. Um, you hate to see someone's career sort of derailed before they ever get it started, but best of luck to Wyatt and whatever he decides to do next. You hope that doesn't happen to Ben Brown too, because another uh, the undrafted rookie they put on IR w- was in the mix to be, if not a, a backup guard, a backup center, um, and could have been a mid round pick last year in October. Completely tore his biceps, rehabbed it, worked his way back, played in the preseason opener Friday night, re injured those biceps, and he, he's done for the year. It's just a uh, Really brutal blow for that guy, and you hope it's not a Hubert case where you have those those back to back injuries, and you just say that's enough. Yeah, I mean that's got to be it's the most demoralizing because you know how hard it was, Jay. It's like when you write a story and then find out like the what you you thought you saved it in like whatever oh. WordPress or something, and then you go back in and it's gone, and you know yes. you have to start over. Uh, <laughs> now do that, except it took you a year. Like think you wrote a book, you know. <laughs> And you lose it. 
and you've got to mm-hmm. start over. It's like, no, I'm just going to walk away. Yeah. I'd rather walk away <laughs> than have to go write this book again. And it's the same, you know, it's kind of the same kind. I just, I can't imagine how demoralizing that must be. So mm-hmm. Bengals at 85, the number they need to be at. So they are good to go for the next week until they need to get to 80 next week. Uh, this Sunday against the Giants, they will play. No starters will play again, at least for the most part, no starters. Same that you saw last week, Zach Taylor confirming that with us uh, in the press conference on Monday. So, that means for me, because we know they're not going to play against the Rams, it's going to be a starterless preseason for the Bengals in this <laughs> this <laughs> off season of taking it easy has uh, turned into a, this preseason of taking it easy. Uh, there is no doubt what how they viewed last year, uh, and that was let's not ever put any extra work on the dudes we're going to need for the long haul because guys were just so worn down last year and take it as easy on them as we can. And flip the switch in the opener. Again, we've discussed the concept of flipping the switch before. There seems to be a lot of flipping the switch to the Bengals uh, approach. And we'll see what that means for their early season success or failure. I mean, if there's one team that's going to be easy to flip the switch for, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't think they're going to have any trouble. You Physically, yeah, you wonder about ramping up and being ready for week one, but they, they played well enough in the opener last year to win it. Um, I, I think it's not as big of an issue. I, I'm kind of surprised seeing how Zach approaches this. I was watching some preseason games last week, kind of surprised how many starters that other teams were, were playing in, in their preseason opener. Um, so I, I think this is the way it, it's going. And you would think the most intense work this preseason is going to be the, the joint practices with the Rams next week. I, I think Sean McVay is of the same mindset as Zach Taylor about playing starters in the preseason. I don't think you're going to see much in, in that third preseason game. So, uh, yeah, this is if if you can come down and and fill the bridge, that might be your only chance to to see the starters in action uh, against another team this preseason. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, Zach Taylor made a kind of a joke that, well, I mean, everybody in the in the league coached for the Rams, so everybody's kind of got <laughs> the same philosophy. I mean, he's tongue in cheek there, but I mean, that was a it's a Rams philosophy. It's one that they used and one that they utilized, uh, and and found through the you know the the science that they've done there that look that's the best way to get the most out of everybody over the long haul. And the Rams have used it. The Bengals are using it even more so this year than they even did last year. So. No starters is going to be in the preseason. Uh, of note, other injury things of note: guys coming back. Uh, Mitchell Wilcox was, has been in a boot, um, and so we'll see when he comes back. Drew Sample on the rehab field, also in the tight end room now, so he's starting to work back from that knee injury that he had. The Thad Moss fans, I mean, you're going to see a lot of him. Um, you saw maybe too much of him last week with the two holding yeah. penalties that wiped out a couple of really nice runs by Chris Evans, a touchdown and a long one. But, yeah, big opportunity for for Thad Moss with those two guys down and Hayden Hurst not playing. Yeah, about those two holding penalties that I'm sure Chris Evans is still not super thrilled about. <laughs> um, you know, the, it was sort of said to me, look, yeah, they're both legit. They're both calls that they're going to make every single time. It's just a matter of holding on that extra tick too long. Now, is that time on task stuff? Is that not just not having played in games to understand? I don't know. But it's not a good thing for for Thad Moss at this point to know that you don't have the understanding of when to let go. Um, and, and 
calling back a 63-yard run. Uh, that type of stuff, just it just kills you. We'll see, though, what if he can make a better impression as they go forward. Uh, Deontay Smith has been on the rehab field with his back injury. Um, we'll kind of get more into the offensive line here in a second um, and see where he could fit into the mix, but obviously that's a concern. Cam Taylor Britt, I don't think we mentioned this and the walkout. It was kind of came out before the game. He has a core injury. Yeah, you're looking at you know at least a couple of weeks uh, until he's back. Who knows how long that's going to be? So, um, you know, that's uh, a concern for sure. These were at the very least going to be important games and reps for Cam Taylor Britt, the second round uh, pick, and now you get none of it. Uh, as we, so the Eli Apple's your dude. There's no going to be no competition there, and this feels like the type of thing that we'll be talking about all year about how this derailed Cam Taylor Britt's opportunity this season. Yeah, that's as I I wrote in the uh, rookie report that's up today that, that this really, I mean, it, it kills any chance of him winning the starting job right away against Eli Apple. And you wonder if he can even come back from this and, and catch up in time to, to challenge Eli later in the season. We all kind of thought maybe around mid season, you might see him make a push. But the other thing the, the ripple effect there is that they have a guy with all this versatility in Dax Hill. And so we've seen him primarily be in that Jesse Bates role as, as the free safety. But that now with Cam Taylor Britt not playing as much, maybe they maybe they slot him in at corner some more this week uh, against the Giants and, and really use that 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 versatility. He can play the slot, he can play outside. He lined up his outside corner a few times against the Cardinals, but that was because there was a tight end out there. Um, it was just where his guy went, but it might be more by, we might see him play co- some more corner by design as they get deeper in the preseason. Yeah. He had 11 snaps in co- in like corner coverage, whether in the slot, eight in the slot and three out wide uh, on top of all of his snaps in the post. And he, and he had, he had some in the box as well. So he was used everywhere mm-hmm. uh, in that game, but yet yeah, you have to wonder when you start thinking about, well, who's next there in that corner room with Trey flowers, who actually had a really nice pick six versus Jamar chase in a goal line drill. Um, Denzel Ward esque, <laughs> yes. uh, going the other direction with it um, in practice on Monday is is kind of that next guy up at this point. Alan George, the undrafted free agent, has been getting a lot of run and had a few nice plays also against Chase in the practice on Monday, but obviously you saw some of looking like an undrafted free agent in the game. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of questions what would happen there. You'd have to think if it came push, came to shove in the season, uh, you'd start to see Dax Hill getting some, at least getting some some reps at that outside corner to see how he looks at it because he could be end up being an answer for you if slash when Jesse Bates leaves the suite. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, other news to tick through real quick. Uh, Hall of Fame um, senior committee announcement is supposed to come out today. Uh, it may be out. I don't know when that's going to be exactly, uh, but um, Ken Riley. Ken Anderson among the group that we'll be seeing if they get in. And uh, we've been talking about this forever, uh, mm-hmm. so we'll have reaction to that. However, that ends up going down. Again, That may it may already be out as you listen to this on the podcast, um, but that is expected on Tuesday. Uh, you mentioned Rookie Report, Jay. Make sure people are checking that out. Uh, it's a, a, a real deep look at the entire rookie class, including undrafted free agents. We talked to just about everybody, connected to everybody, and uh, got a real feel for how they're looking, how they did in the preseason game, what the, what the next step looks like for all of them. Jay's got that up, including – 
a notable quote from Zach Taylor yesterday on Kendrick Pryor, calling mm-hmm. him the most improved player since the spring. Um, now, he has looked good, but I thought that was a, a bold claim, hashtag bold claim alert uh, from, from Zach Taylor. Good for Kendrick Pryor. And I thought he looked good in the spring. It's not like he was mm-hmm. starting from this this really low base. He he came in and looked pretty good. Kwame Lasseter was the the undrafted star of of OTAs, but Kendrick Pryor looked pretty good. And he you just you see him ascending. And it's I kind of pointed out he was my pick, the guy that I was most interested to see in, in the the preseason game. And Wisconsin threw the ball the the third fewest times against all power five or among all power five schools last year. It's just not a, a pass happy offense. And I was interested to see what he could do in this offense. And, and we saw it, a, a, just a great performance, four catches, 89 yards. Um, he is, he is now the, the fifth leading receiver in NFL preseason this year. Um, you, you just don't see big games like that in, in the preseason because people don't play much. And I, I looked this up too. 55 of those yards came in the fourth quarter. He only had two games at Wisconsin where he had more than 55 yards receiving for the entire game. And he had that in one quarter, including the, the touchdown and a, a nice one-handed catch. He is he has really, really been impressive. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, Joe Burrow is back, ladies and gentlemen. Yay, there was much rejoicing. How you doing? 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 There he is. Uh, Jamar Chase saying, how you doing to Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow is back. Um, We we talked about Friday that he was out running wind sprints before the game, a pretty strenuous workout. There was twisting, and you're thinking, okay. Well, that looks pretty good. And Burrow apparently said after that, if I feel Sunday the way I felt today, I'm going to practice. And Sunday came. He felt good. We're standing in the locker room. And after walkthrough, waiting on the players to come in, and in comes number nine in a jersey holding a helmet. And we're thinking, oh, I think I actually said, like, oh, damn. Like it just it was jarring to to see. Uh and what came next, Jay, uh was 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 pretty impressive out of practice. Yeah, it really was. I mean, the 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 deep ball he threw to Trenton Irwin was he had threw he had thrown five really short check down screens, those type of passes. Then he he finally let one go. Thirty air yards, I think is what we caught it, and everybody was was really kind of like, okay, he's back. That looked like vintage Joe Burrow. But there was one later in the practice. He he had a nice long one to Kwame Lasseter too, but there was one going up the sideline. It might have been his last pass of the day, if I remember right. But it 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 was right between the corner and the safety. I don't a lot of I don't know how many other people could have made that throw. He threw it just split those two perfect, hit Stanley Morgan in stride up the sideline. And that was the one that was really like, whoa, 
you, there's not a lot of guys that could make that throw at any point in their life, let alone a couple a couple weeks removed from surgery. Yeah, three let, just shy of three weeks removed from surgery for Joe Burrow. You know, they said to him at the beginning of practice, we saw him. He went out. He was going through the the mobility drills where you kind of weave the in and out of the pocket around hmm. tackling dummies and then throw on the run. He did all of that. He was throwing almost thirty yards there, and you're thinking, wow, you know, he he looks good with his mobility. Um, and they left it up to him. They said, we'll see how you're feeling, and then if you get to seven on seven and you want to do it, you can opt in. If you're still not too sure uh we can take a break from that or you know we'll give you a couple you take a couple reps couple reps bro said don't just put me in i'm taking them all (laughs) second second string swapped in from the first string and burrow didn't leave you're not taking me out i've been watching these reps for two and a half weeks i'll be damned if i'm coming out on this one and so he ends up taking every rep throwing 30 yards you mentioned the plays and it's like oh okay camp can start now it's back now and it feels legitimate again and uh offense looks a little bit better when nine's in there it appears uh not shockingly so that was kind of a big you know obviously a big part of that day um but his health is part of it but really just his presence was really a big part of what changed things too here's a little bit of uh jamar chase talking about what he saw from burrow and i thought interesting in some of the things he said about kind of how that made him feel too did it feel like he didn't miss a beat i mean it looked like he was putting balls exactly where it's supposed to be just like he was in OTO. yeah i mean that's Burrow, man. We expect him to do that. You know what I'm saying? He comes back. He's anxious to play. So, um, you know, he took it. The, he took what the coverage gave him. To be honest, and it's funny because every every pass he threw today, I was calling it out before he threw it. So, I think I still know him perfectly fine right now. Was it a surprise when he came out here? Or did you guys know he was going to practice? Uh, we today? knew he was going to practice. Okay. So we already knew that. Uh, it was just him taking it slow coming back in the evening. I know he's been around, he's been out of practice, he's been in meetings, but to have him back out here, does it add a different juice, different energy? Uh, I feel like we had a different juice the first day he came out. Yeah. Just to see, the, you know what I'm saying, how everybody re- reacted to it, seeing him want to get, get on the field. So it's good for us for us to have him back. Did it shock you at all that he threw more than he was supposed to? Nah, he just, that's what he wants to do. He wanted more reps, and I think he's just going to take them himself. So. Has he always been that way, where he's just gonna be like, he's just gonna go out there and get as much work as he thinks he needs. Um, I mean, he's a competitive person. Overall, he's a competitive person when he wants to work. So uh, that's the type of guy you want around you. I mean, he's just trying to make himself better while he's pushing everybody around. From the throws you saw, was the one that was the most impressive to you? Say it again. From the throws you saw from Joe, was the one that was the most impressive. The throw you said. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole shot. Yeah. That's what you're talking about? Or any one of them. I like the whole shot. You know what I'm saying? He told me he was struggling on goal balls, so I wanted to see if he was going to do a, a conversion goal ball, too. So um, that's what I wanted to see the most, just, just how, how he's going to throw the goal ball, coming back on the injury. So yeah, like, oh. it was only like 20 yards, too. So you're going to get out of there early. Of course, you want me to see the goal ball. Yeah, I didn't have it. I didn't have I think we had one rep together, I think. Uh, maybe two. So, I mean, I'm not, I know I wasn't getting no go ball with him, so I, I knew that wasn't happening first practice. You watch him drop the ball in, I think it was to Kwame, under in coverage. Yeah, yeah. That, that was a dime. That was a dime. I, that's, when you see that from Joe in his, his first practice, does that remind you why he's so special? It's one of the reasons. Um, no, nah, I mean, I already know what he could do. I mean, I've been playing with him for years. So, you know, when I see him come out and do this, it's... It just gives me, you know, it makes me feel better. It makes the teams feel better. It makes the coaching staff feel better. It makes all of us around, you know what I'm saying, feel better about ourselves and the team coming, you know, what's about to happen this year. 
Yeah, it makes you feel better about the, what the team's coming, what they're about to have this year. You know, <laughs> I think it's just just it's one of those things. And then you go out there in seven on seven, and you see Burrow, Chase, Higgins, Boyd, Mixon, Hurst for the first time in seven on seven, and it reminds you of of the potential and and what they've got because we've been T Higgins being back is uh you know sort of an, an underscored part of this because we haven't haven't really seen that yet either and he's looked really impressive. He has had some incredible catches already just in his first days back in sevens and now all the way back in elevens. So you see that group all out there together and it just felt like a three week exhale for everyone in the building watching Burrow go play. Yeah. And it, it you're right that T T's first practice doing 11s was Joe Burrow's first practice period. And it really did get overshadowed. He's, he's looked good running and they've just been really keeping the reins on him and, and trying to bring him along slow. And he he's talked about how frustrated he was. He's tired of running on the side field and he looks like he's out there trying to prove something in these first few practices and had one yesterday, uh, went up a, a deep ball and high point. It was underthrown and he went up and boxed out the defender and high pointed it. And just, it looked like vintage T Higgins. Um, it's all of that. You, 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 it's the first time you've seen Burrow with Hurst out there. Um, the, the new addition, the tight end, it's just, it, it reminds you that, that the, the weapons they have and seven on seven, you just take the, all the question marks of the O line out of it. You obviously you can't do that for the, for the entire season, but, um, I, I expect we'll be seeing Joe in 11s with offensive line in front of him here before too long. Yeah, before too long, for sure. Um, uh, also of note, Burrow will talk for the first time this year on Wednesday. So when mm-hmm. we come back on our Thursday show, we'll have much more on what he had to say Uh there also he's been kind of running after practice like we he's been doing that all year but he was doing that in the otas uh continuing to do that now and and looking good doing it so clearly uh in a, in a really really good place uh all right let's bring in our good friend mo Eger, who i know is a big fan of sitting on the beach watching videos of joe burrow throwing at practice <laughs> from yes. your vacation had to had to be a nice little a nice little touch onto your vacation yeah, it really was. Um, one, one might argue the highlight. Uh, <laughs> be, we had four kids with us, so watching Joe Burrow was my getaway. That was my adult time. Me and Joe watching him do calisthenics and flipping footballs and going through drills. That was that was like my chance to guys. I gotta I gotta break away so I can go watch this, and then I yeah. would uh, I would watch it on loop for two and a half hours and completely disappear. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad that you're back here from your vacation because we have very important things to talk I'm about. I'm sure, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm going to break down uh, Drew all, Blitz performance. I mean, is that what I'm here for? I mean, at this point, I, I wouldn't mind going into that. I'll pass on the Loveland product for this moment. Jay, do you have a tweet number despite vacation from Mo? Yes, 123 this week. Man, just and I stop. If, if I kept... Daily numbers last Tuesday might have been one of his highest tweeting days ever. There were a really? lot. What was going on last Tuesday? Was I fighting um, with somebody? I don't think you were. <laughs> no, you were not fighting. You were. You, there was a lot of replies to people about the podcast and just oh. about other things. And you, it wasn't all thank you for the podcast. It was just there was there was a lot of tweets because I count. I go back chronologically and I'm counting and I can't remember what number I started at. But I was like, man, August 9th. There's a lot of tweets. 
must have been not busy that day, I guess. <laughs> just just trying to make sure you got your numbers up before sure, you disappeared right. for a few Pump days. Them I'm up, sure, you know, before we but, we that's out right. Yeah. Um, the who latest episode of the podcast is of Moager podcast is out now. Who's your guest this week? Uh, Cam Miller. Um, yeah, local filmmaker, Reds historian, and uh, I, I like. I wrote this in the little bio intro thingy. I, I really enjoy talking with people who clearly love what it is that they do. And they, they like whatever financial reward comes from it. And they like maybe the result of what they do, but they really, they really enjoy the process. And so I wanted to talk with Cam about the process of making some of the films that he has made and making some of the films that he hasn't been able to finish either. And also and I've long been envious of people who work for team hall of fames, halls of fame. I've long been envious of people who work at the Reds hall of fame because they have, have this treasure trove of stuff that they always uncover. This is what cam does in the process of making his films. And so I wanted to talk about uh, some of that. And uh, we had a really good hour long conversation. It was, it was a lot of fun. All right. Looking forward to that. Make sure people are checking out and subscribing to that the Mo Egger podcast and also listening on ESPN 1530, specifically on Tuesdays from three to four, where I join. <laughs> yeah, Mo. That's right. uh, you yeah. can turn it off after that. I don't really care as long as it's radio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, but uh, I want to talk to you, you. You talked about this yesterday and it was part of a tweet that you said, and I just want to drop it out here and is, is the AFC North really that good? I, I think it's, you know, it's sort of been a thing that's, I felt like almost assumed, um, but as it's gotten closer and you start looking around, is it right? Yes. No. I mean, the answer is no. I, I don't believe the answer is yes. I think I've just confused us all. So <laughs> what made me think of this, Sam Munson, pro football focus, who uh, we're all familiar with, does great work, is going to be on my show this afternoon. Uh, did bold predictions for every AFC North team. And, you know, they're, I'll try to walk this back a little bit. Over the course of the offseason, this narrative started to unfold like, oh, the Bengals were lucky last year, and so the national media is disrespecting them. And so I started trying to play over the course of the offseason if, if a prominent national voice would say, actually, you know what, I think the Bengals should be considered favorites, or you know what, people are sleeping on the Bengals. I would try to play that audio to my audience to sort of counter the suggestion that the national media hates the Bengals. Cause I, 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 I find that narrative to be lazy sometimes. And so when training camp got set to begin, I said, look, here's my thing. I don't think you're going to find that many people. You might not find folks who believe the Bengals are going back to the Super Bowl. That's fair. You might find people who just like Baltimore's team better. Okay. That's fair. Uh, you, you might find people who aren't maybe as sold on the, the offensive line being the strength of this team or a strength of this team, uh, as, as we think, and, and okay, that's fine too, because it is a collection of dudes from other teams. What I don't think you're going to find are that many people who believe the Bengals are going to miss the playoffs. So lo and behold, uh, I'm reading pro football focus actually, while I was, um, carving out some adult time on vacation, bold predictions for every AFC North team. And they did it for every team in the NFL. I think Sam's focus was the AFC North. And his first one was the Bengals will miss the postseason. And um, his capsule talked about how, you know what? There's a lot to like about this team. Uh, Got to love what they did this offseason. But you know what? The AFC is so loaded. A good team is going to be squeezed out, especially from a really good division like the AFC North. And I'm paraphrasing Sam here. And 
I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've, I've heard about how good the AFC West is going to be. And it could be historically good. Like I, I think you can make a legitimate case for three of the four teams to win the division. And I don't think it would be that huge of a surprise if, if Vegas did. So then I look at the AFC North and I go, well, one team doesn't know if they're going to be starting Jacoby Brissett for 17 games, quintessential replacement level quarterback. Uh, and you know, okay. If they had Deshaun Watson for all 17 are the Browns bona fide division title contenders without question, but he's going to still miss six games. And even if that, those six games are on the softer portion of their schedule, it's still a sizable chunk of games for a quarterback who is a substantially better than his backup. And now it appears that he's going to miss more than six and who knows, maybe all of them. And so, sorry, I, I, I really can't fear the Browns right now. I look at Pittsburgh and yes, man, uh, you play them. If, if they're on your schedule, uh, you know, on, uh, the, the, the next Sunday, then you look at their defense, a lot of problems, no doubt about it. Um, it's going to be small hands, Kenny Pickett or Mitchell Trubisky, or I'm reading out of Pittsburgh, Mason Rudolph. Like they don't know who their quarterback is going to be for all the George Pickens love, which from what I saw over the weekend is deserved. Um, I'm still not sure they're going to be that explosive offensively. And I like Najee Harris, but are we really taking the Pittsburgh Steelers seriously as a team to win the AFC North and taking them seriously as bona fide championship contenders? They made the postseason last year, but when the playoffs started, uh, we crossed them off very quickly, even before they got blown out in their playoff game. Okay, so it's it's Cincinnati or it's Baltimore. I think it's a two-team race. It feels like most people who, when they talk about the division itself, focus on two teams right now. Baltimore had a great offseason just because everybody got better, got healthier. But even there, they they have sort of a dearth of experience wideouts. I'm not sure they address their pass rush. In Cincinnati, I don't really know where the main question is when you look at the roster especially now that uh, appendix, uh, the appendix uh, appendectomy portion of the offseason is over. So I just, it, it, it feels like a two-team race. If the division is a two-team race, if it's perceived as a two-team race going into the season, is the division that good? I don't think the answer is yes. That doesn't mean that there's going to be, you know, a bottom feeder. There's no three and 14 team in this division. I think we would all agree with that. But top to bottom, to me, if we're talking about a great division, when the AFC North has been at its best, you can make a case three teams could win the thing. There are clearly three playoff teams in it. I don't feel that way. And so the notion that the quality of the division is going to keep the Bengals from getting back to the postseason is just not one that I buy into. All right, let's just take a quick break. You know, you talked about lazy narrative, and I'm not, I'm not- – saying this about Sam, because I know those guys work hard, but I do think sure. that the, the, the national pr- perspective, it, no, no matter what the team is, they, they always kind of fall back on history. And I think you look, Mike Tomlin never had a losing record. So people, even though they have holes, people just assume the Steelers are going to be right there um, at the end. And, you know, same with the, the Bengals and saying it's almost like they're banking on the law of averages that they, they were so healthy last year. You said, you're not sure where that weakness is. I mean, I obviously it's depth. I mean, you do wonder sure. if they do have a rash of injuries, how good this team can be, but they also have nine. I mean, if you got Joe Burrow in there, you've got a chance. So I just, I think so much of, of that whole idea. And, and the other thing that I think people see it as such a good division is you don't have a drag. 
Like, there's not that team where you're like, oh, they have no shot to win the division. Really, you can make a case for any of these four teams winning the division. So it's not it's not that juggernaut that the AFC West is, but I, I think the fact that it doesn't doesn't have an obvious bottom feeder just makes it feel like a stronger, harder division. Yeah, I mean, I, I would certainly agree with that. And, and again, are are the Cleveland Browns on a weekly basis going to be formidable? Sure, the Bengals lost to them, you know, twice, and I kind of just just you know disregard the one game. But yeah, I mean, they came to Cincinnati and beat a team that en- ended up winning the division. Uh, that's not to be taken lightly. And we're all familiar with Mike Tomlin and the Steelers. And look, man, their their defense has a chance to be the the best in the league. I, I just to me, if 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 we're going to talk about the the depth of the division and how great the division is and why the division could keep a really good team from making the postseason, you've got to convince me that we're talking about four near equals. I look at the AFC West and I see a bunch of teams that I think could be considered equals. Obviously, Kansas City has the pedigree having won it all these years and Patrick Mahomes and all that. But I mean, there's to me, I, I view those teams as closer to four equals than I do the AFC North. And and again, there's there's not a bottom feeder. There's not a total drag that's just going to go three and 14 that provides two easy wins for the other three teams in the division. The Bengals are going to lose a divisional game this year. Um, I, I think everybody will. But I, I just, I, I don't, I, I reject the notion. Uh, and it's, it's not that I'm outraged that somebody would suggest the Bengals aren't going to make the postseason. It's plausible that a 10-win team is on the outside looking in because of the depth of the AFC. I understand that, but I, I, I just I don't really buy the argument that, well, this division is so damn tough. It's so damn difficult. I mean, look, Cincinnati wiped the floor with the Pittsburgh Steelers here last year, and you hate to use that as an argument as to why Pittsburgh can't beat them this year. That game was non-competitive. Um, the Baltimore game, the first one before they really started to suffer the attrition that, uh, took root in the, over the final five weeks of the season, the Bengals beat them and, and beat them in the second half of that game pretty handily. They outplayed the Steelers drastically at Heinz field. And then the, the wink Martindale game, obviously late in the season was just a blast and maybe an outlier compared to what Baltimore is going to field this year. But the Bengals lapped the division last year. They lapped. Pittsburgh and Baltimore, the two teams that you take most seriously in the division. And again, if today we find out Deshaun Watson isn't going to miss a game, different conversation. The reality is, at at the very least, he is going to miss more than a third of his team's games, and probably more. And that's a big deal. That's a, They're going to have a replacement-level quarterback playing a sizable chunk of their games. And so that being the case, I just I, I reject the notion that what could keep the Bengals out of the postseason is the overall quality of their division. When I view it, which is my opinion, I view it as squarely a two-team race. Yeah, no, I know. I I say when people always bring up the injury stuff first. I mean, who's more likely to have bad injury luck this year? If you're, it should all be the same. First of all, the team that had good injury luck last year, or a team like Baltimore who's continually had injury issues. I mean, it, the the bottom line is there. Yes. There, it is luck involved with that, but you can't just you can't bring the Bengals have just as much a chance of having injury issues this year as Baltimore does as having them again. And so I, I just I hate when the, I hate when that gets brought up. Yes, maybe it made them a little bit better than they were uh, because of the attrition. They they still early in the season at full strength, uh, you know, like you mentioned, 
took Baltimore and Pittsburgh behind the woodshed when those teams had had full compliments. So we'll see. Before I don't I don't want to I don't want to dive in because I have an important back second thing oh, for you, Mo. Okay, here. very good. All right, it's very important. Uh, you had a tweet from your vacation. I appreciate this oh. um, on August 11th that. Hologram Harry Carey or whatever that was oh will goodness. be the stuff of many, many nightmares. I am. I want to follow it up with this. Should we shut down the hologram industry completely? Or is there a situation where you'd be comfortable with holograms being in play, either on television or maybe in your own life? Um. There aren't many things that I consume that I think a hologram would be involved in. <laughs> now, I do have a five-year-old, and so I don't know what sort of hologram uh, things are, are going to present themselves in the coming years. So I'll remain open to the idea that I will encounter more holograms in my life because <laughs> I'm sure there are children's entertainment options that either do or will involve holograms. And by the way, it's not lost on me. I mean, look, the whole field of dreams game is a celebration of a movie in which essentially holograms emerge from the corn to play baseball. Right. I mean, that's, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Right. So I guess on some level, the fact that they brought back a hologram of, of Harry Carey makes sense on some level. Um, not to nitpick, a lot of people made this point. Harry Carey sang the seventh inning stretch at Cubs home games. This was a Reds mm. home game in the corn, but, 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 but okay. Harry Carey is a beloved figure, but as a general rule, Harry has been dead for, I think, 25 years now. I think he passed in 1997. And a beloved figure, a seminal figure of my youth, somebody who watched all those 220 day games on WGN during the summertime, I love and worship and revere Harry Carey. But I, I just, I don't, I don't know if there aren't better ways to celebrate him and to sing the, the take me out to the ball game than to have uh, a reproduction of a guy who's been dead for 25 years. I, I haven't had a Harry Carey hologram nightmare, but chances are it's coming. <laughs> I, I have one quick question about a tweet too, if I could, it, it was from, right. it was from vacation <laughs> Keep and it it's it's you and your wife, and you're you said I'm having fun, and you're holding yeah. a cup of beer with your name on it. Do you have yes. trouble keeping track of your beer cups? All right. Um, so first of all, let me quickly backtrack because it's rare that I think, man, that's a good tweet that I sent, but I got very little feedback on the uh, Karen Kinsella reference at the end of the Reds game <laughs> because she, the little girl that chokes on the hot dog and then bounces back. And I made yeah. a reference to the Reds didn't have a comeback. I was disappointed that there was almost no response to that. Mm -hmm. uh, do better followers. Okay. <laughs> so we go on vacation. There's four adults. There's four kids. My wife packs these. They're awesome. They keep your drinks cold. These aluminum recyclable, uh, solo cups, right? They're not the red solo cups that you drink and throw away that you could wash them. You can recycle. So she brings four. Um, we get there. It's the first night. Everybody pours a drink. Uh, we're chasing kids around. We're going to the beach, we're getting in the water. We're coming out of the water. Everybody's cup looks exactly the same. Most of us are drinking exactly the same thing. And, you know, look, man, uh, I'm a little bit of a, like a, not a germaphobe, but I, I, I get a little weird about like drinking from the same cup as somebody else. And, and, you know, 
COVID. So I thought here's, I had some trainer's tape because I, I cut my finger, uh, lighting a sparkler for my kid. I had some trainer's <laughs> tape to wrap a bandaid around. I just ripped off a piece, wrote my name on it, put it on the cup. And the great thing about it is that piece of tape is still on the cup. The cup and the tape are indestructible. And all week long, I watched the other three fools. Is that your cup? Is that, well, what are you drinking? No, you know what I think? And mine's like right there. It says Mo on it. It would have taken you three seconds to rip off a piece of tape and write your name on it. I did that. So guess what? No such issues. So who was the smartest person on the trip? Me. There's, I mean, it's, it's, it's unquestioned. I, I, I honestly, uh, am just really impressed that you guys thought to bring it, but the, the problem is that there was no, were there lids on the solo cup or were you able to put a lid on it? No lids. I mean, you, you could, you, I guess could go to like a speedway or something and yeah. smuggle a lid from a big cup and put it on, but no, there no, no I'm only asked because at the beach, I always feel like I I'm always worried about sand constantly getting into the cup. And I like to have something with a lid that I can take on and off or I'm not really like a through a straw guy, but like I can at least something to try to protect it from it getting sandy. Like, cause then that feels rude. There is, uh, there is some validity to that. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm pretty vigilant when it comes to the, to the cup and, and you know, by the way, uh, <laughs> props to my wife, my, my wife, if you ever, she should start a business in which you say, I'm going on vacation and she shows up and packs for you because yeah. she has stuff <laughs> for every contingency, every possible plan stuff that I didn't know we even owned ended up on this trip. Uh, she packs like a, she packs for me. Like, I mean, it's, she is. So she brought the aluminum cups and I'm like, this is genius. And then she said to me, you're really writing your name on that cup. I'm like, not sure I'm harming it. <laughs> and then again, as the, the five days unfolded, as I'm watching all of them trying to on a, on an hourly basis. Oh, wait a minute. That's, I think that's mine. You're drinking out of, I'm over there with my, my Mo cup. All good. I <laughs> love good. it. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll have to get one for you here that you can hold up here on on our youtube channel here for everybody to see mo i appreciate you coming join i will see you in a few hours over on espn 1530 thank you for having me as always yep Thanks, have a go all right let's uh let's move forward here and talk about the developing situation and and uh really what we thought was going to be the biggest battle of camp then we thought maybe won't be the biggest battle of camp and now has immediately been thrust in forward as clearly the biggest battle of camp and that is what's happening at left guard after friday's debacle with jackson carmen and so Let's just run through the details of this situation before we start kind of analyzing where this thing goes next. Jackson Carmen comes out and plays terrible. Okay, he has in his first preseason game of what's supposed to be his big jump year. Uh, you know, he's got a year under his belt. He got his his off the field in order. He's paying attention to meetings. He's got his weight in check. He's acting like a pro. He's showing some maturity and his first chance to go prove it in the game. He has 20 opportunities to pass block. He allows four pressures for a 19.3 grade. Last year, he had 10 games with at least 15 opportunities to pass block. And only two times in that 10 games did he allow more than four pressures. He only had a total of 19 uh, on the year. In last year's preseason, he had 58 opportunities to pass block and, only, and allowed two pressures. And we talked about how he wasn't good last year in the preseason. Uh, this was maybe one of his worst games at your first opportunity. 
So with all that said, we talked about it after the game. It has to be Cordell Volson getting a shot next. And lo and behold, he shows up with a elbow ding on Sunday. Jackson or does. what was it Jackson does? Yeah, sorry, not Cordell Jackson. Carmen does with an elbow <laughs> ding. Uh, Jay, what was the line that Zach Taylor used uh, about Jackson Carmen and his elbow ding? What was it? Uh, some guys just need an extra day. Yeah, some guys just need an extra day. <laughs> I'll say for a staff that really cares a lot about guys that want to play, that want to, excuse me, that want to practice, that want to grit through stuff, to hear some guys just need another day is not a ringing endorsement at all from this staff. Cordell Volson running with the ones uh, in his place, as you would have expected. Uh, then come Monday, and Cordell Volson is still running with the ones, despite Jackson Carmen being back at practice. Running with the, there were two major uh, team portions. Uh, in the first major team portion, the second string left guard was Trey Hill, and in the second full team portion Carmen steps in at with the second team so not only did Cordell Volson get the opportunity to be with the first team but now Jackson Carmen has competition with him specifically with the second team with Trey Hill who was talked up afterwards by Frank Pollock that's the background of where things stand now let's bring you I cut up conversations with Frank Pollock, Brian Callahan, and some with Zach Taylor. Uh, for those listening on the podcast, if you're listening live here, you'll just hear a bit with Brian Callahan. So if you want to hear the full bit, uh, please listen listen to our uh, listen to us over on the site or wherever you get your podcast. Um, talking about the situation, not just at left guard, but really the entire line room, but you'll with a, with a focus on this left guard battle. <laughs> Uh, like most guys in the, in the game, up and down, some good things and some typical things for first game live bullets. Kind of like a few weeks ago, we had our first day of pads. Some guys kind of abandoned some technique and, and fundamentals because it's their first time to go live, full speed, all the way to finish. So it's which is typical first game stuff. Uh, some good things and some things we got to continue to keep harping on and grinding on. What are the what are the most important qualities that you're looking for when you decide who the left guard's going to be? Consistency. Wait, the second half, Volson, what did you think of his first uh, his first shot? Rookie in his first game, yeah. you know, up and down. Uh, he plays hard, there's, there's no question there, but he's got to be more of a technician, you know what I'm saying? Play faster with his hands and feet. Uh, typical first game stuff. Yeah. Cordell getting a chance to rep with the ones, was that planned or was that due to Jackson getting dinged or, or, or just trying to evaluate him with the one group? A little bit of both, a little bit of both. A little bit of both, so we're just evaluating everybody and still seeing who's the guy that's going to you know, take that job. When it comes to evaluating that, how important would it be to see Cordell against a first-team type of group with it, to, to make a real decision? Would you need to see that? He's going against a first-team group every day in practice. Yeah, in a game, would that matter? Or I mean, it's, it's impossible to predict because a lot of teams don't play their guys, so it, yeah. that's just the nature of the new NFL with the way the preseason works out. Yeah. What have you thought about Trey Hill's camp and first preseason game? I thought, I thought he's doing a lot of good things. Um, and he's another guy that's competing for that left guard spot. He's been valuable for us at center, and he's starting to get some more guard reps. 
but he's done a nice job. He's grown a lot as a player, and uh, he's, he's right there in the mix with anyone else at that left guard spot. What do you like about his game? I like that he's physical. He's done a better job mentally running his group at center position. He's done a nice job on his protection counters, being proactive as opposed to reactive. He's shown to have good anchor. He's shown good physical strike and movement in the run game. He's done a lot of good things. I, I like where he's grown as a player. He's continued to do that. On draft night, you talked about accountability, Corey yeah. mindset, all of those things that you evaluated during yeah. the pre-draft process. Has he delivered in those yeah. areas? Yeah, he's hard on himself. And uh, and like I said, he's a rookie. He's growing. He's learning. It's, it's a big step to go from a, a smaller school in the NFL. Um, I've lived it myself, and <laughs> he's a much better player and much farther along. So, But it's... This is a man's a man's game, a man's league, and so. But he's done a nice job. He's a professional. He's shown he's got plenty of ability and strength to, to match with these guys at this level. He's just you know sharpening that sword. Practice looks different when nine's at quarterback. Bolson seemed pretty comfortable. Yeah, did some good things. He's. It's hard. I guess it's hard to judge when you're talking about the second half. It's there. Yeah, but, I, mean, I mean, it's anytime you're talking, you're trying to rate performances as the game goes on. It's it's more about it. They're just doing the things they're supposed to do. Whether it yeah is. A good or bad versus the other player. It's more, are you doing what you're coached to do? Yeah. Um, and he was, and he did a nice job on some things. Just some things he's got to clean up. It wasn't it wasn't a perfect performance by any stretch. Um, but that was also his first game. Yeah. And so that happens. I mean, yeah. There's going to be some good and some bad, and I think that's just that's how we roll within the preseason. You try to do your best to teach off the game, and you know they don't count for anything. You know you want to win, but they don't count. And yeah. You're really trying to evaluate guys and, and teach guys, and so yeah. I think we got all that out of that game. Um, disappointed in Jackson. I mean, for a guy who's been here for a year to come in and have a rough outing, like he's not one that should forget about technique out there. No, and, and you know, it's anytime that that happens, you, you, you just try to teach it and, yeah. and get him refocused. And, you know, sometimes guys try and do too much. You know, the expert, they, they, they feel like they got to do great and they, they press and they make errors and just sometimes the game, you got to let it come to you a little bit. You got to yeah. do what you do, use your technique, play the right way. Um, and those things take care of themselves, and then you yeah. hope to see an improved uh, performance the next time out. You know? Yeah. Um, and you know they're in a competition, so that's how it's going to go. If one guy is, doesn't doesn't hold up his end, and the next guy's going to get an opportunity, and yep. we're going to do that until we figure out who that's going to be. Yeah. That's, do you want to? I mean, at this point, do you want you probably well, I imagine want to see Bolson against better competition. Yeah. I mean, you know, Jackson was out today, so yeah, so there's you know, yeah. all the ones. Yeah. And, um, you know, the rotation for, for a week from now kind of remains to be seen. But, yeah. you know, there's usually in a competition like that, you try to get guys equal opportunities. And, you know, it's, that's certainly not something that's out of the question. What, what did you like out of what, after watching the tape, what did you like out of what Cordell did? Uh, or what did you not like or whatever? Just overall impression of how he played in the preseason I, I think he's a rookie that's, that's improving every single day. And we like all the intangible stuff about Cordell. Um, you know, he, he, he flashes some really good stuff, and it's just the consistency there and learning from your previous mistakes and, and uh, you know, really encouraged by the direction that he's heading. Um, but by no means is that left guard spot solidified by anybody. There, there's been things that we've seen from um, from all of our guys that, that have really shown up. But um, Cordell, we're, we're happy to have Cordell and, and know that he has a really bright future here. How valuable is it to see when you have a position battle like that, see guys go against light competition or possibly rotating series? Yeah, it's different because sometimes their strengths are a little bit different too. So it's, um, you know, we like to see them get into a flow. Instead of the rotation of the series, let them get into a flow. You know, and let them play over the course, like last time, half. And, and we haven't determined yet. We're still days out on how it's going to unfold for this next game. But I'd rather see guys play a long stretcher, stretch of time, 
um, even if it's not against the same same uh, you know person that they're going against. You know, some of the same D linemen and some of the same linebackers. Now, I might rather see them get into a flow and see what they can do. <laughs> Certainly not something that's out of the question. I think everyone can agree with that. And I think judging by what we saw um, on Monday, it's pretty obvious. I, 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 we don't know. We don't know what the rotation will be yet. But there was an interesting thing, and, and this was in here for us in the podcast here, of Zach Taylor pointing out, look, I, you know, Jay, was your question about going a series on and a series off. And I thought this interesting response of him saying that he wanted to see longer in the flow portions. And, and I thought that was interesting, too, because we, we saw them do the two on two off rotation in regular season games when they mattered. And um, I, I don't know if if that going through that last year changed his mind or if it's it's just something he wants to see in the preseason to to give Cordell a, a, a chance to really get into the flow and see what he can do. Um, it's, I mean, it's as much about him as it is Jackson. The, the thing with Jackson Carmen and, and all these guys, you, it, it's, it's what we do. You know, you, you, you overreact to the first thing you see and there is, there's still a lot more to go, but for a guy like Jackson Carmen, where you're, you're hoping to see you're they're counting on seeing him take that next step and, and, and progress and instead, he goes the complete opposite way and has, I get you had it, the stats, the worst game of his career, not against J.J. Watt and the starting defensive line of the Cardinals against their backups. I mean, it is really, really concerning. And it doesn't mean he's already lost his battle, but it 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 gave it it created the crack that Cordell Volson needed. He was he was going to have to really, really outplay Jackson Carmen to win this battle because of Jackson Carmen already having some experience, even though it wasn't great experience. Um, and you're seeing that unfold right now. And it, it wasn't just Jackson getting whipped. I mean, there, there was a play where he just completely missed a stunt. So it's, it's the mental part of it as well as the physical things that you would expect him to be further along um, than Cordell Volson at this point. And he, he just simply wasn't Friday night. So it is, I, I do. I think we're going to see Cordell Volson that entire first half against the Giants and uh, might have some more stunts and twists and blitzes to pick up with Wink Martindale uh, calling the defensive shots for the Giants. Uh, he he kind of raised the hackles of Bill Belichick last week uh, with Bill Belichick not happy with how much the Giants blitzed Mac Jones. Um, you don't really see a lot of that in the preseason and, and you've got this, these kind of this back and forth little salty feelings between the Bengals and Wheat Martindale going to be interesting to see how much he, he comes after the Bengals and specifically after the rookie, if it is Cordell Olson in there, that, that whole first half. Yeah, there was uh kind of a laugh from, from Zach Taylor. When you asked that question <laughs> yeah. about uh, the blitzes that the giants were showing <laughs> last week, it was uh you know, obviously, no love lost uh, between the Bengals coaching staff and Wink Martindale, and I'm sure turning on that tape had them laughing quite a bit, uh, <laughs> like this this dude, right? This dude, <laughs> and but that that is going to be a part of you know you're gonna, they're going to see starters, they're going to see blitzes, you're going to see some some real season type stuff, and that's going to be good for judging the battle. I, I think whether you're talking about what you heard from Brian there or Frank or or Zach Taylor, um, it all seems to be setting up first full half for Cordell Volson mm -hmm. to go out there. But I thought also from Frank, interesting, you know, talking about, look, 
I don't need to see it in the game. The dudes we have here in practice every week are really good. And and the, these reps, these going with the first team up against DJ Reader and, you know, catching a stunt of Trey Hendrickson and things like that. I mean, that is real deal reps that is every day is part of this battle. And, and they've got to come out here every day. And that's going to be a big part of the equation. It's not just going to be he doesn't need it to just be what happens in the preseason games. And I think that's a big part of these reps this week. And to be honest, you know, when you watch him. Volson has looked very looked solid against these mm-hmm. guys, against Reader and against when he when Hills come around or Hendricks. I mean, if we've been watching him, you know, pretty closely, uh, and it, he he looks solid. I mean, it's just I don't know how much more you need to see from Jackson Carmen at this point. You've got a year, and then that game uh, where it's like, look, what what else? You only have so many opportunities, and this mm-hmm. might be the only opportunity in a game to see him play. Um, against stars. So we talked about before, that seems to be the direction that this is going. The Trey Hill element is interesting here. So Frank Paula talking up Trey Hill, uh, very much so, which was surprising to me. Now, yeah, he, he seemed to have a solid game. They like his development that he's made from year one to year two at center as far as understanding the system and, and making the calls and things like that. And they like his, you know, they've liked him physically since the day he was drafted. You, if you go back a year and a half to our, our podcast with Mike Potts after that draft, they loved his athletic mm-hmm. profile. He would love to tell you how he could dunk a basketball and he had all this explosion in his legs and, and you could see that. It was just a matter of figuring it all out i think they think he might be starting to figure it out so i guess i mean they know better than we do i i I do tend to go back to that i mean you know they're they're the ones watching the tape they know their system that what they're looking for those guys to do uh if they say they think he's figuring it out then they think he's figuring it out and pointing out the look he could be the first the the first guard off the bench um if if he's your backup center then there's no reason he can't also be your first your first guard off and be there if Karis or Carmen or Kappa go down. It seems to be the point that they're making that they want to give him that chance too to prove maybe he could he could be that guy. Yeah, and he got he got a long look Friday night, and maybe maybe that's what it is is they they don't play Jackson Carmen and it's it's just Volson and, and Trey Hill, um, and Trey Hill has all this. I mean he he can be your backup center too. So that's, that's a concern there where if, if he does win that starting job, then you are, what do you do if anything happens to Ted Karras? But, but yeah, I, it, it was, I was surprised by that, that it, it, it's always, they didn't say it's a two man competition, but it's always felt like it. That always felt kind of like a cliche answer that, that everybody's competing, but it, it was interesting to hear Frank, throw that support behind Trey saying how well he's been playing when he, when, when Frank talked after practice yesterday and um, we'll see, we'll see what maybe he plays center uh, against the giants. Um, but you know, could very well be guard. And if Jackson does have, I mean, he only missed one day of practice, but if he does have some sort of tweak and he was wearing a sleeve on that elbow, maybe they don't risk it. Maybe they use that as a, a reason not to play him and, and you don't see him until the, the third preseason game. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, the other aspect of this is Quentin Spain's hanging out uh, in northern <laughs> Kentucky taking pictures of the skyline uh, and letting you know that he would happily come back to play. I, I do wonder when his name enters the equation. Uh, not as a starter, I don't think they would have a situation where they would say, God, this is all so bad. Let's just see if Spain can come in and play. It'd have to be pretty bad. Um, mm-hmm. But if 
you know, Carmen's poor and they, and it just doesn't seem to be happening for him. You do wonder if they would maybe call him to come in, be ready, be a backup on the vet men if Spain was willing to do that and be a guy that could come in if, if he just wants to, you know, do you want to make a million dollars? Like, or, you know, and potentially maybe you end up having to step in and play in case somebody gets hurt. Uh, that could be something that enters the equation. As of right now, at this moment where it stands, uh, I, you know, I don't think they're at that point yet, but it could be. Trey Hopkins, I don't see happening. You know, he's been hanging out in Puerto Rico and doing vacations and seems to be moving on to the retirement life a little bit. Maybe maybe he maybe he has seen what's gone on and maybe somebody maybe uh you know there's calls being made and he considers getting back into football shape and and, and being back down that road again. I don't know, but right now I don't I don't think that that's a a real option either. The other thing brought up was Akeem Adeniji getting work ahead of Isaiah Prince at the right tackle position um which I found to be interesting. And so it, but Frank Pollock's point is he needs time on task. If he's going to make this team, uh, he needs to be as a guy that can play both tackle and guard and be a contingency plan at both those spots. He sure as hell didn't look like a left tackle uh, when he was out there the other day. Um, I, they just keep wanting to give Akeem Adeniji a chance, and I think they realize that you know Adeniji's not going to win any jobs. So mm-hmm. the only way he's hanging on to this roster, if he proves that he can be Sir, at least kind of serviceable at both guard and tackle. To me, it's them throwing him a lifeboat to maybe make this team. And if he can't grab the lifeboat, he won't make this team. Yeah, and then the the other interesting piece there, we talk about playing tackle and guard, was Deontay Smith. And he, with, with this opening from Jackson Carmen stumbling, he's a guy that could be in the mix. But now he's been out with a back injury, so you don't know how long that's going to set him back. But he's another guy that they've – last year's mid round pick they've been they've been high on and it's just it's it's it, i don't know how far this back injury's put him behind but obviously it's going to be a while before he works his way back in there so he's not going to be in the mix for a week one starter but he's another guy to keep in mind down the road if if depth becomes an issue much like the Cam Taylor Britt conversation, I mean, yeah. this is just a bad time to be hurt. This is your opportunity. This was when his opportunity was coming. Same way as last year, the injuries always seem to come mm-hmm. at the worst possible time for a guy that they're really high on. But he's a project. He needs reps. He needs to play in games, and he just hasn't really had much of an opportunity to go do that. I mean, if they could find a way to get him back uh, for even just the Rams game to go out there and play, just mm-hmm. to see, it could be a big deal for for him and and his standing on this team. Uh, all right. So that kind of wraps up where the offensive line situation is right now. Uh, we'll continue to watch that during the week um, and, and talk a little bit about um, where that goes next. But yeah, I think right now, Jay, if you, the old, uh, if, if you had to make the call today, if, if you had to bet an uncomfortable amount of money on who is the starting left guard against Pittsburgh, I where would your money be? Yeah, Cordell Volson. I mean, yeah. you you they've they've liked what they've seen from him so far. You you would expect him to do what what most players, young players do, and that's ascend. That that trajectory should be you get better through camp. And so if he was already better than Carmen in week one, what's who's to think he won't be better in week two and even better in week three? And so it just they they love his makeup. They love everything about him. Whereas Carmen, it was kind of, you know it was kind of some tough love last year, and they had to kind of whip him into to being a pro shape. Um, that's not the case with Volson. 
Uh, he's a fourth round pick. He's not a second round pick like Carmen. May not have the athleticism, but they he's the the glass eater. And Frank said it yesterday. He repeated the line. He does have shit in his neck. He's exactly <laughs> what they love in these nasty offensive linemen. And and he is. He's he's on his way. You you what you saw against the Cardinals is not who he is. He's gonna get better the more reps he gets uh, in practice and in these preseason games. He's not. You know, you look at his performance. He's not doing the right things. He's he, he's not li- he's not taking what is being taught and what's part of the practice field and 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 applying it to in the games. You know, they talk they talk specifically about guys getting out there and just forgetting their technique and freaking mm-hmm. out. Right? If you're Jackson Carmen, how is that possible in year two that you are one of the people forgetting what you're taught and doing the right things? And I'll go back to this. When push has come to shove with this coaching staff over the years, and we've seen plenty of times where push has come to shove where they're talking about dudes that are off the street versus guys that maybe have some talent but can't do it right, they have gone with the guy. I'll go back to you know when they started sitting Carlos Dunlap in the middle of that mess. They would rather have the guy that's at least going to do it the way they're teaching it who doesn't have as much talent. Uh, versus the guy that's going to go out there and and you don't know what you're going to get. Frank Pollock said consistency is the number one thing. They just want to, you know, maybe they're maybe he's not at as high level as a player, but they want someone who's going to go out there and they feel like it's going to apply it. We don't know for sure that Cordell Volson's going to do that. They need to, we need to see that over a couple more games. But if he goes out there and at least applies the techniques correctly and doesn't freak out and and go off on his own like we saw Jackson Carmen do in the beginning of his second year, then I think you know how they're going to side because they've sided that way before. So we'll see how it plays out, but I think that's where it stands right now. I'm with you, Jay. I don't, I don't think it's particularly close. Mm-hmm. I think that this was such a big trend in the other direction, and they're clearly giving this dude a chance. And if he can prove to be okay, um, I, I think I think he could win the job. Um, all right, let's move on. Let's Let's get into scoops here. All right, I've got I've got two scoops, uh, some behind the scenes stuff. Jay, you've got two. Uh, do you want to start it off? Uh, sure, I'll start. It, it was it was humorous yesterday watching Von Bell raid the lockers of the two rookie safeties, Dax Hill and Tyson Anderson. He kept grabbing <laughs> stuff out of their lockers and taking it into the training room. We thought, oh, he's just hiding it in there. Uh, no, he must have dipped it in the cold tub or because they were soaking wet. Tyson Anderson and <laughs> D- Dax Hill came back from from lunch and they're looking at their lockers and everything's missing. And so they go, I guess someone must have told them where it was. So they go in the training room and they come out and immediately start walking through the locker room to go to the the equipment room because everything was just soaking wet. They needed to they, they needed to get it dried off. And And Paul, you talked to. To trunk the equipment manager, and he said, uh, "Yeah, th- those weren't getting dried in time for practice, so they had to practice with wet, wet gear yesterday. Which it's—I mean, it gets wet anyhow with all that sweat. But to start off with everything soaking wet couldn't have been comfortable." He said, "It's going to be a long practice for those guys. <laughs> Luckily, there was an off day Tuesday. Be back probably good to go by Wednesday. Uh, that's going to—I'll—I'll I'll drop this one in. So." In talking with Zach Carter and uh, Jeff Gunter uh, on Sunday, because we weren't able to get them after the game, and I was asking after we got done with Zach Carter, 
asking about the if they'd done the rookie show yet. And he was like, oh, yeah, and we had the best performance, and you got to know about it. I was <laughs> like, okay. He's like, now, we did some Kirk Franklin, like, choir stuff. It was me. He said it was him. It was Gunter and Aquarius Tisdale, uh, the undrafted defensive linemen, together. And they did a whole, like, choir routine and had the whole place on their feet. And, you know, there was a whole back and forth with the preaching and the amen and the guys, you know, doing this whole, doing this whole routine, which is, which is good enough on its own right. Gunter went on to tell me that actually they'd been practicing it for a while. And the way that they practiced was they all got in a car together after when they were on their way home and they would drive as long as they needed to and basically do carpool karaoke <laughs> practicing this in the car so imagine three 320 some deep whatever how big defensive linemen uh all in a car just singing at the top of their lungs driving around cincinnati i i i love the idea that they were dedicated to it this much but it clearly it clearly paid off for them so i i, I enjoyed that visual uh these guys uh put putting the time in to make sure they did it right they were they had to have been driving around cincinnati because i know where the rookies stay during training camp and it's very close to the stadium and yes. that's <laughs> they did not have time to practice on that car ride so yeah yep. I, I can just imagine them driving through the streets that would be quite the scene to see if you happen to roll up on that car all right scoops part two for you jay so uh second time in about a week that pac-man has been in the building um and yet yesterday it was he was there, there. All the guys, all the players were at lunch. It seemed like it was there were there weren't many in the locker room. So um, Pac-Man comes up and kind of fake tackles Jeff Hobson from Bengals.com and started a conversation about some times that he blew off Marvin's instructions not to return kicks. And he just ran on the field and returned him anyhow. Uh, one time when Marvin told him not to do it because he had just come back from injury and he didn't want him to hurt himself and he hurt himself. Uh, and then that was in Seattle and he heard about it the whole flight home uh, from Marvin about that's why he shouldn't do that. But the, the best part was this is one of the stories we all love telling. It was it was one, it's maybe the, the highlight of since I've covered the team of any post game locker room situation. <laughs> and that was the the, the game in Cleveland uh, when Adam Jones was asking he was picked up a trash can and was shaking it and saying, Terrell Pryor, you in there? You in there? And what had happened is Terrell Pryor had made some comments because uh, he had been with the Bengals. He was with the Browns at that time. He made some comments about getting, I think, Paul Gunther fired, that he was going to have this big game and get Paul Gunther fired. And uh, the Bengals roasted him. And it was it was not spontaneous by Pac-Man. He even said it one. He said someone wanted to talk to him. He said, uh, hold on, I'll have something for you, but I'm going to go shower first. He comes back from the shower and announces to everybody in the locker room that Pac Adam Jones is about to go live. And then he just, he just let go. And there was, there was only a couple TV cameras there, but a bunch of us were standing around and I've never seen reporters bail out of a post game locker room so fast to, to run upstairs and get everything written down and typed up that he had said, because it was, it was quite the show and it was fun listening to, to Pac-Man kind of relive that moment yesterday in the locker room and, and tell his side of it. Yeah. Garbage, garbage, <laughs> garbage. Terrell Pryor, garbage. Just sticking at him and Drake or Patrick shaking the garbage can saying, Terrell, you in there? Get out of there, Terrell, get out. 
<laughs> Unbelievable. Great moments in Bengals media history. Um, my last one is is not quite as funny, uh, certainly not for those that were involved in it, but as I'm hanging out at the end of practice yesterday, I think it was you heard Brian Callahan earlier. I was talking to Brian in the middle of it. All of a sudden, there is some yelling going on on the field. And this is after practice. Most guys are just kind of trying to get out of there. Joseph Osai and Trey Hendrickson have to get peels apart. They are going at each other. And now there wasn't, I didn't see any punches thrown, but they were in each other's face, had to get pulled apart. As Hendrickson eventually is kind of walking away back towards the locker room with Osai, he is yelling stuff and pointing at him across the practice field. It was quite a scene. And it was pointed out like, we're in training camp now. Like these guys ha- have taken it, had it taken kind of easy on them, but we're into the deep phase uh, of their. You know, they played on Friday. Guys have played on Friday. They're back out there in pads again on Sunday. It's what five in the next six days. Uh, they're they're practicing. It's 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 really great. You're seeing it. that wasn't the only one at the end. Again, there's just like going through some after practice stuff. Offensive line, defensive line. Noah Spence, Devin Cochran. Oh, they're in the middle of a little little fight uh, after practice, and it's just like guys are salty right now. They are sick of it. They are tired of it. And training camp is officially here because no one is very happy right now because they are really deep in the grind. Uh, a lot of a lot of yelling going on. A lot of, every day there seems to be some kind of little fight or altercation. So I don't know what that means, but it's been wild to watch because it's uh it's 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 happened like clockwork the last two days. Watch out after practice. Keep your head on a swivel, Jay. Well, especially next week when the Rams come to town, you think there might be a little Ooh. bit of needling from the Rams about beating the Bengals oh, in the man. Super Bowl. And That'll a little, be very a little back and forth. We'll have all your coverage on that coming up next week, which will be very interesting. All right, let's get into a few Q&As and get out of here. Um, one, this was an email from Tyler Ham, uh, who asked... Who has the bigger impact on the offense? Or if they were to be injured, whose absence would hurt the offense the most? Run passer boot, T. Higgins, Evan McPherson, or Joe Mixon? I feel like I've kind of answered this in my Bengals war uh, thing that I did before the season started because uh, I have them all ranked. Uh, but I'll let you go, Jay. Well, I I think you had McPherson third, didn't you, in the war? Uh, no, he, he was not you know, third. He no, was up. He was, I, I think I had him sixth or seventh. I yeah, think. he was high. Um, I, I kind of want to say it because they don't have another kicker. If something happens to him, you're you're pulling someone off the street, and that just looks totally different than Evan McPherson. But on the flip side, if you don't have him, you're you're more apt to to go for it on more fourth down, fourth downs. And we know what Joe Burrow can do on fourth down. Maybe maybe the offense is. As crazy as it sounds, better w- without Evan McPherson because they're they're going to go for it more instead of now you can you can kick a 56, 58 yard field goal. Um, I just I I think that I mean that could happen. I don't think it would. I he would be my pick. I just think he is such a weapon, and right now there's not even a backup at that position. Um, it would look so different. So I, I would I would run with McPherson. Um, I'll pass on T Higgins just cause he is, they have a lot of receivers that can, that can still carry that offense. But, um, I, I, I just think running back what it is, Joe Mixon is great, but I, I've loved what I've seen from Chris Evans. You've got some AJP Ryan that can do the tough stuff in the middle. Um, Travion Williams could step in. They, they can do a running back by committee. Um, I, I, 
I think you would definitely miss Mixon's energy, but the NFL, what it is being as pass heavy it is now, I just, I don't think that, that his absence would be felt as great as, as the other two. Yeah. I, I, I wrote about that a little bit more in depth in the war piece. Um, Talking about just you know positional priority is a part of. It. I mean Higgins. I, I think if you're just talking offense, which is what this question is about, mm-hmm. um, you know I actually probably would run with Higgins, even though I had him a couple spots behind McPherson in the overall. I think McPherson over the way this team can win because I think their defense is going to be very good. I think to the whole team uh, is probably more valuable in terms of wins above replacement, um, and than than Higgins. Um, but for offense specifically, even though, yeah, he does open up to get, get points when you didn't think you were going to get points. I, I probably will say T, um, and, and run with T and pass on Evan and, and, and boot Joe, Joe Mixon on that. Cause of just mm-hmm. running back. Um, okay. Let's go into the YouTube comments. Thanks everybody. That's been listening on YouTube again. If you are watching, uh, you know, subscribe, rate, tell your friends, all those things uh, that we're doing these shows here for you live. So uh, let's go. I got Tina Hale in here who says, so do you think Taylor is going to have a tougher practice? Also, plus, would have loved to have party with Jay in the days. Wouldn't we all? <laughs> wouldn't we all have loved to have? I would have what I would give to have just spent a week uh, with mullet Jay in Athens. I feel like uh, I feel like it would have been a, a real good a real good time. Yeah, I mean, I, I I haven't stopped partying. I mean, I, I still go out and have fun. <laughs> still if, sneaking into Anthrax concerts. I yeah, mean, I don't exactly. know what else do you want? What yeah, I mean, it, want? it's still fun in this day. It doesn't have to be back in the day. <laughs> All right, so Tina, maybe a meetup at the next the next <laughs> stop on the Anthrax tour uh, is is in 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 place for you. Uh, so, do you think Taylor's going to have a tougher practice? You know, I think this is. We kind of touched on this just a, a bit ago in the scoop section. They they have gotten tougher. I mean, they have, they, it took them time and they've gone through the phases. But as we've gotten now into this grind to camp, you know, I think they have really looked at this week as a chance to whip dudes into shape and to start being a little, uh, a lot tougher this week with all these days kind of in a row to, to really lean on them and get after it. They're doing a lot of 11 on 11. They're doing two long sessions to move the ball. Um, the ones are playing a lot in these practices and, and you're seeing it in guys. And I think for the first time, we're really seeing them start to, now you're not going to ever see him be doing a lot of tackling. Like we hear some out of some other camps or anything like that. That's not going to be the way that they operate. Um, but I do think the practices have started to get tougher by their standards, uh, over this previous week, you can start to see the ramp up periods here. Yeah. And, and, and the way they've scheduled it allows them to do that. So to, to ramp up the intensity, because you mentioned that they looked last year and saw so many soft tissue tissue in, injuries on that third consecutive day of practice. So most of these are just two on one off. So if you're only going two days in a row of practice, you can go a little harder. And we saw it that the what you mentioned with the 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 spat between Cochran and, and Noah Spence. That was after practice. That was practice was over. Players were walking off the field, and Frank and Marion got the O line and D line together, and they were they they continued practice basically after it was over just those two position groups and that's where the the disagreement came so they they are going going hard in in the the meat of practice and then they're still working after practice um and you know it's gonna it's gonna be full go when when the rams are here next week so it is it's all ramping up not just to the preseason games but to those practices next week um 
this let's go back here to from Mark Williams back when we first got the uh, the show started here. He dropped this one in the comments. How many wide receivers make the fifty three? Uh, I have a fifty three man projection coming up here soon. And you know when you when you start going through it, um, I I have a hard I. Th- I have a hard time seeing them keeping seven. I mean, I know that it has happened, and I know the way that they play 11 personnel. And where I just, I don't think that that that, that will be, that will come into play. I, I think you've got your six in T. Jamar, Tyler Boyd, Stanley Morgan, Mike Thomas, and Trent Taylor. I, I think Taylor's going to win the gig. I don't, I don't. I don't think Kwame Lasser is going to unseat him unless he has, uh, you know, does really, really well. And I think you can stash him. I mean, so much of this is going to be about can you stash these guys in the practice squad or are you worried about somebody taking them? Maybe they're worried about someone taking Kendrick Pryor. Um, but it was the tail end of a, a of the first preseason game. If they feel like maybe Kendrick Pryor has played well enough that they could lose him and they need to keep him on, maybe that's why they keep him seven and keep him through the cut. And we see the thing where they – keep him through the original cut and then they pick somebody up. Mm-hmm. He's one of the first one they dropped to make it a little less likely that someone picks him up. I don't know. Um, but I don't think there's anybody else to me that I don't, I don't see somebody who's like real worthy. I don't think they're worried about someone taking Trenton Irwin off their hands. Um, I, I think they feel like they can, they can get the guys that they want onto their PS and then have them available as the year goes on. This might surprise you, but I have a spreadsheet for this. No, I, I have, I have kept track of the breakdown by position of the original 53 man roster every year. Um, and the Bengals have kept seven every year going back. Last time they only kept six was 2016. Now, obviously really? things, things change every year, um, personnel and all that, but you, that's, that's a pretty solid track record. Five straight years where they've kept seven wide receivers on the opening 53. I just, I mean, are they, is it Irwin? I mean, I, I just, I just, prior, I mean, is it really a reason to keep those guys? I, I, yeah. Again, unless you really feel like somebody is going to be coming after them, um, I just, it seems, it seems unlikely, but you're right. I mean, it is a, it is a solid track record. Uh, I just, I, on this group, now maybe they add, you know, maybe it's a thing where they find, see somebody on another team that gets let go and they go waiver wire after a receiver. Maybe it's a trade. Um, maybe that's more likely. Um, but, you know, Mike Thomas is clearly entrenched. He didn't even play mm-hmm. uh, as your number four receiver. Uh, Stanley Morgan is everyone's favorite teammate and special teams dude, and they're g- hoping to grow his role. I mean, I don't think he's going anywhere. And someone's got to win the punting battle. Trent, uh, after that, I don't know. I, I, this might be the year they go back to six. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, so. Interesting, too, that they didn't use Kwame very much at all on offense. Um, I don't know if they're trying to hide him, keep him off tape, or just let him focus on the return game. But I, I thought that was interesting that the, the, the so much of the, the young receiver battle went to, to Kendrick Pryor in that first game. Yep. All right. I want to thank everybody for uh, 
tuning in on YouTube or listening here on your preferred podcast platform. We'll be back Thursday, uh, and we'll we'll be looking ahead to the game against the Giants and talking about this week of practice and whatever Joe Burrow has to say on Wednesday. So many things cycle through uh, every day, so keep it locked into The Athletic. Uh, subscribe there if you can, of course, and, uh, and we will look forward to talking to you next time. So uh, have a good one, everybody. Thank you.